the book of John. And we started with chapter 4 last week. Uh, got through the first 25 verses of uh, John chapter 4. A story that we're all familiar with, a Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And um, we were looking at that from the standpoint of evangelism and learning how Christ, who was our example in everything, was that example for us in evangelism as well and how we can reach out to others. And uh, we're going to see tonight that uh, last week he had sent his disciples to town to get food and this week they're coming back. And so we'll get to look at that uh, scene that's taking place there and how his approach towards reaching out to people impacts them as well. So John chapter 4, we start at verse 25. says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went away into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So we looked at last week a simple definition for what evangelism is. Evangelism, people who know Jesus telling other people about Jesus. Uh, there are some very complex definitions of evangelism that I looked at last week and shared with you, but I really think this one tells it just the way it is. If you know about Jesus, tell somebody else about Jesus. That's what evangelism is. And so we also learned last week about how big of a deal it was that Christ traveled through Samaria. We talked about that, this rift between the Samaritans and the Jews. And this prejudice between those two groups had been going on for centuries. And any type of reconciliation uh, between these two groups, it didn't look like it was ever going to happen or it was ever going to take place. The Jews, they stayed in Judea for the most part. The Samaritans stayed in Samaria. It was just as simple as that. They just didn't get along. Now we talked last week a little bit too about how that's true in our own lives and how we, we have certain people that we don't get along with always, don't we? It could be friends or lack thereof. It could be family. It could be any number of people that we just don't get along all that well. And so Christ is going to give us an example in that as well in that here's a people group that the Jews just didn't get along with and yet he still reached out to them, which is an example for us as well. It's a testimony to us. So as a Jewish man, Jesus does the unthinkable here by crossing into this forbidden territory, the area of Samaria. But he didn't stop there. We see that he took a step further by stopping and speaking to a Samaritan woman about the things of God. So just speaking to a woman, period, a Jewish man to do that, was odd. Uh, there wasn't a law against it, but you know how uh, over time, especially during the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jewish religious leaders of the day kind of come up with their own set of rules to tag on to God's laws as well. And this was one of them. 
You just don't speak to a woman in public, including your wife. And uh, we, last week we had a lot of amens from the wives on that. I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so that just, just him to talk to a woman was bad enough in the eyes of the Jews, but also the fact that she was a Samaritan woman made it all the worse. This was just a, a social faux pas, you know, as far as the Jews were concerned. And it's good that the disciples weren't there through most of the, you know, the dialogue because they would have been awestruck that he was talking to this woman and that the woman was a Samaritan. But they were gone to town for most all of the conversation we see from the text. But now we're going to see, as we read, the disciples come back. And they are shocked that he was talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask him, why are you talking with her? I think this is key to us understanding why Jesus sent the disciples into town to start with, is that he had this divine appointment, as we looked at last week, with this Samaritan woman. He needed this quality time with her to share with her, and the disciples were going to be a distraction because they were going to hold on to these Jewish traditions and wondering why is he talking with her. And it was just going to kind of be, a, I think, a downer for the whole situation if they had been there. But now they come back, and they're kind of catching the end of the conversation, and we see what's, what's taking place. But Christ had this willingness to go to a group of people that were socially off limits. And it's a powerful lesson to all of us as well. There are those people groups that if we searched our hearts and really looked hard at ourselves, we would find ourselves hard-pressed to reach out to them in this way, wouldn't we? If we're just being honest, that's just where we are. And it, it shouldn't be. And we need strength and encouragement from the Lord that only comes from the Lord for us to overcome that. So, you know, is there a Samaria in our lives? Is there an area that we just don't like to go to? The other side of the tracks, if you will. Are there Samaritans in your life? as well. The, the people that you're just kind of, no, I, you know, I'm going to be on my guard with that group. But what would happen in your heart if God suddenly said to you, hey, take a trip to or go to fill in the blank, whatever that area is, or go and talk to whoever that is. Because we can see with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that all important people are important to Him. Uh, he came, you know, so that the whole world would know, Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 18, says, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. Given us this task. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. 
Salvation for all of us was a timing issue. It is for everyone. We know that uh, we could experience death before salvation. Tomorrow, the scripture says, tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. Christ could return, as he promises to in his word, before our salvation. No one knows the hour of the day of Christ's return. So each and every day is a day of salvation, isn't it? As we meet other people, as we talk with other people, it could be the last day that they have. We don't know. So God wants us, as we see from that scripture that we just looked at, he wants to handle that message of reconciliation to himself with care. Verse 25 in our text, John chapter 4, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So as we discussed last week, this is the point in this whole conversation that's gone on where Jesus actually introduces himself to this woman. You want to know who I am? Let me tell you who I am. I am, I am. Two words with ultimate power. Jesus is saying, by saying I am, he's saying I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. He's saying that he is God himself. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans did agree on one thing. That in the Old Testament, God had promised a Messiah, the Christ, that would come and be a deliverer or restorer of his people. They could come to agreement on that one point. Now, where that Messiah was to come from, there was argument there. We know from Scripture that he was to be born of the Jews. But the Samaritans, they found their own way of claiming, well, he could come from our line as well. They all thought he would be a king to lead them out of bondage, the bondage that they were in to Rome. They weren't looking for a savior. They were looking for a king in the, in the, in the line of David, someone that could be a, come and be a conqueror and lead them out of this bondage that they were under uh, with Rome. And we'll see in a couple of chapters that right after Jesus had miraculously fed the 5,000, after that event takes place, in John chapter 6, 15, it says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he had departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So the people wanted to make him king. And this comes right after the feeding of the 5,000, which is very interesting because, hey, we got this guy, we make him king, free food. You know, it's buffet every week. <laughs> Get in line and let him feed us. He was healing people. He, he's a healer. He's someone that feeds us. He would make a great king. We would never want for anything, right? He would make a great king. But that's not the reason that he came. Verse 27, And at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Now, in Acts chapter 10, we see the account of Peter having this vision while he's praying. And he saw heaven open, and a sheet bound at all four, four corners with all kinds of unclean animals on that sheet. And the Lord said to Peter in this vision, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
Peter said, no, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. You see, at that point, God had said what was going to be clean and unclean in the Old Testament, but God's changing the rules here, if you will. Uh, so he's saying, Peter, not uh, what I have cleansed, you must not call common. And it was a picture for Peter for an event that was going to take place in his life. Because several verses later, when Peter's with this group of people, uh, Peter shares by saying this in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So God is telling Peter, I'm going to use you, Peter, to reach all types of people, not just the Jews. And these people aren't common or unclean. They're people that need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Peter, I'm going to use you to accomplish that. So Jesus is going to be giving His disciples a hand-on lesson here regarding whom He and who they will uh, minister to as time goes on. So tradition or heritage, heritage says you don't interact with another type of person or type of people or group of people. Jesus has already blown that whole theology away in this vignette with the Samaritan woman. Verse 28, The woman then left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? It says the woman left her water pot. Now, that could be for a couple of reasons. Maybe that which was previously important to her no longer mattered. She came to get water from the well to draw water from Jacob's well, and Jesus has given her what? Living water. Things have changed. So maybe that was the case. Or maybe she left it there out of appreciation. What did the conversation start with? Give me a drink. Jesus asked for a drink. And then the text, we have no indication that through that whole dialogue, Jesus ever got a drink of water. I don't think he was really concerned about it uh, too much. But for her, because of what he had done for her and explained to her, Jesus had told her about his, her sin. Uh, pointed out what her need was, told her about true worship. Maybe she was just saying, hey, you want a cup of water? Take the whole pot. <laughs> You've done so much for me. Take everything that I have. It's yours. I surrender all to you, Jesus. That which she had previously labored for was now free. Living water. When we come to the Lord, our line of questioning should change. It, it should be no longer what can I get from the Lord, but it should be what can I give to the Lord. But in these verses, we also should have noticed a very familiar phrase to us as we've gone through our study of the book of John, a phrase that's repeated uh, again of one who is pointing to Jesus, come and see. Remember that phrase back in John chapter 1? Jesus said to Andrew and John, come and see. Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. It's a very simple yet profound evangelistic phrase. As you go through the course of your week, for you people that live, live here in Berthet or live in Johnstown, wherever you are, and as you talk with, you meet with, you interact with other people, you have the opportunity to tell them what God's doing in your life, 
but also what God's doing in the life of this fellowship, Calvary Birthed. And they would have questions. Well, what are you guys all about? What can you say? Come and see. Very simple answer. And you can use that to draw them in, to pique their curiosity, if you will. Come and see what's going on. Come and see what God is doing. And then you can lead them to the place where any questions they might have could be answered. Not because Pastor Jim's here, but because we study God's Word. We look at God's Word and what it has to say to us and the lessons that it has for us. God speaks to us through His Word. So this is exactly what the woman did. She's saying, I can't put this into words, everything that I've experienced, but I can lead you to the one that can. He told me everything about me. And I can lead you back to him so you can experience the same thing. But it's, but it's interesting too who she went to. She went to the men. Maybe it was because the other woman in town uh, wouldn't have anything to do with her. But previously we know with all of her marriages uh, she had tried to find her happiness in men. Probably many men. Her proclamation of, he told me everything I ever did, probably captured the attention of some of these men. Wouldn't you think? Not to go into great depth on that, but there may have been relations with some of these men. He told me everything I ever did, which could have included some of them. Verse 30 tells us, then they went out of the city and came to him. And it doesn't sound like they delayed for any length of time at all. They, they wanted to check this out based on the testimony of this woman. So meanwhile, back at the well, verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. Rabbi, eat. They had gone to town to get food. They brought it back. There was this whole interaction going on with the Samaritan woman. And during that whole time, Jesus hadn't eaten. I think their comment was genuine. I think they, they were concerned for him. They'd been with him many days. They had seen what he had eaten, what he hadn't, when he had eaten, when he hadn't. And they knew that at least on this day, he'd had nothing to eat. But he says to them in verse 32, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Now, do you remember when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan? In Luke chapter 4, we have that account. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. I have food to eat of which you do not know. They, they didn't understand. They were speaking of physical sustenance. Jesus was speaking of spiritual sustenance. They were confused. Therefore the disciples in verse 33 said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? This is when I believe the disciples begin to mumble. You know all about mumbling. It's one of those words that sounds just like what it is. Do you, you bring him something to eat? I didn't see me anything. I don't know where he got something to eat. I says I had something to eat. Well, I don't know where he got anything to eat. He sent us all the way to town to get food, and he's already had some. Where'd he get it? I don't know where he got it. He'd been holding out on us. He didn't give us any food. Mumble, 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 mumble. 
It's interesting. It's just interesting in the, that in the midst of this mumble fest, we see this many times go on in the life of Jesus. People will be over talking about something. He hears them. He knows what's going on. And so he speaks to the very thing that they're talking about. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So in the midst of this mumbling, in this midst of this talking about food, Jesus says to them, Oh, by the way, guys, what you're mumbling about? Hey, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We know that Jesus was sent to earth for a purpose, to do God's will, to seek and save the lost. It, it was his focus, his passion, his purpose. John 6, 8 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus here is doing the Father's will. He's fulfilling his mission. And as we're about to see, his disciples are going to be taking a class in Evangelism 101. Verse 35, Jesus says to his disciples, Do you not say, There are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. What food did Jesus eat of? He directs his disciples to the source of his food, the harvest, what he was called to do, what he was placed on this earth to do, the will of the Father. That was his harvest. It's interesting that the disciples, they went to town and only came back with food. The woman went to town and came back with many hungry for the truth, didn't she? Who was more of the evangelist in this picture, the disciples or this woman at the well? Of course, she was. Jesus is saying to his disciples, open up your eyes and see what is happening around you. Opportunity is presenting itself. Divine appointments are coming even now, coming our way. Gang, when it comes to witnessing, why is it that it seems for us that the opportunity for evangelism always comes at the wrong time or in the wrong place or with the wrong people. God would be knocking on the door of our hearts saying, here's an opportunity. You want a divine appointment in your day? You want the opportunity to share the gospel with someone? Here it comes. Do you not see it? There are some scholars that explain this verse as the Samaritans, uh, like the Jews as well, wore white robes. And that is interesting too, because if you have a throng of people coming from this town towards Jacob's well, all wearing white, and Jesus says, look, the fields are white for harvest. Now, I don't know, that might be a stretch. Uh, anybody that wears white, it gets dirty, right? So... I don't know, but it is interesting to think about it in that respect because it is capturing exactly what Jesus wanted them to see. He wanted them to see opportunity is here, disciples. The woman at the well got it. She's going back because she knows who Jesus is now. She's going to tell people about Jesus. Open up your eyes and see what's happening around you. Many times in our willingness to serve, we fall short because it's on our terms, not God's. We, we don't want to be 
sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to allow Him to prompt us to say what needs to be said or to do what needs to be done. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and 38 says, When He, Jesus, saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then He said to His disciples in this account, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. I think you guys see that with this passage of Scripture, there's really nowhere else to go with this other than evangelism and reaching others for Christ, is there? That's what this is all about. And this verse that we just looked at tells us that we, we are to pray that the Lord of the harvest would equip and send out those to work the fields of the harvest. Pray and go, telling them what? Come and see. <laughs> Pray and go, telling them to come and see. Verse 36, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which, for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. We see this verse, we hear this verse quoted a lot. Some uh, plant, some reap, some sow, some reap, some harvest, some don't. What, what does all that mean? Well, it, it may mean nothing more than you making the come and see statement and leading them to someone who can actually then work off of the labor that you've just put in place to actually share with these people. So it doesn't always mean that when we share uh, the Lord with someone that they're going to respond to us, does it? We're not in charge of the results anyway. God is. But it could be that all we've done is plant a seed. And now that seed will be watered over time, cared for, and at some point in time, uh, um, respond uh, to Jesus Christ. But it doesn't really matter. God's using all of us uh, for the harvest, or He wants to. So Jesus is saying, I have sown a seed in the heart of this woman, and she is bringing to you a field ready for reaping, ready for harvesting. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 learned it years ago, and it applies to so many different things, or has applied to so many different things in my life. And it says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? The Lord would be saying that very thing to each and every one of us. Forget the former things. Maybe you've had opportunities where you went to share Christ with someone, and you felt like you just Oh man, I blew it. I was tripping over my words. I couldn't come up with anything. And it was just a mess. Or maybe in your own life, your day-to-day -day life, you blew your witness with someone. Something happened, you just lost it, and you blew your witness with them. God would always be encouraging us to look at this verse and realize, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. I can do a new thing in you. <laughs> I made you. I can always recreate 
you and what you've gone through, the things that you've experienced, I can encourage you, I can use you. We forget that sometimes. We think that times we mess up so bad, no, I'm going to be put on the shelf for a while because there's no way God can use me uh, for any length of time the way I blew it. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. God's doing a new thing each and every day. The scripture says his mercies are new when? Every morning. Every morning. So each day we get to a fresh start, a clean slate in our walk with the Lord to start all over. We don't have to worry about what happened yesterday, just being obedient and following the leading of the Holy Spirit for the day that we have today and what he would have for us. So in this verse also, the rules have changed. Messiah has come. He's not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm doing a new thing. Do you see it? Do you perceive it? I'm going to make you, my disciples, part of this work. I've got everything set up. Look, the people are coming. Maybe not the people you expected. Maybe not in the way that you expected. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to participate in the harvest with me. Do you see it? Do you perceive it? Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So because of the testimony of this one woman, many would come to believe. A simple testimony. Come and see. He told me all that I ever did. Come and see. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. It's clear from the text that many believed because of the testimony of the woman. But it's also clear on based, what we, based on what we just read that many more believed because of the words of Jesus as they spent time with Jesus. Uh, their joyous statement, now we believe. They had been, become convinced that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Not just the Savior of the Jews, not just the Savior of the Samaritans, but the Savior of the world, Savior of all. They said that. We ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. People will believe by the testimony of others and by our own testimony, but it's only by hearing and knowing the Word of God that they know and understand the assurance of their own salvation. We can share with them and share with them and share with them, but at some point in time, they're going to see what God's Word has to say, what promises He has for them to confirm in their hearts, yes, now I believe because of what I've seen here. Sure, they've had their salvation. They have come to the Lord. But now they believe and it's confirmed in them. They have assurance of salvation because of what God's Word has to say uh, to them. So assurance of salvation. They believe they have heard the Word of God. So back to the disciples. Where were they in all of this? <laughs> in all this that we've read. I believe Jesus had them there right beside him, right in the mix of things, involved, sharing their experiences, 
Because I believe Jesus would have a situation where he'd say, yeah, you know, uh, Peter, share with them what happened uh, when you saw me change the water into wine, you know, that whole thing, and you had opportunity to talk to people, talk to some of the servants. You know, share about that. You know, share about some of the miracles. Jesus would encourage them to get involved and share their testimony as well. So they were very involved. They were also observing and learning hands-on how to minister to the people. Jesus was there in his example. We mentioned the feeding of the 5,000. It's really interesting to look at that because we know that Jesus could have just said, okay, everybody sit down, cup your hands like this, and, you know, fish and bread, just like that. He could have done that. He could have just spoke it, thought it, whatever, and it would have happened, right? But what did he do? He had the disciples take the baskets, what little there were in those baskets, and he said, you know, distribute it among the people. I'm sure they were like, oh, yeah, right. There's not enough to go over the first row here, but it just kept increasing. There was more and more and more. He involved them in the work, and they also got to see the fruit of that work and him working through them. And I think it's just just great story. At the end of that, they pick up all the scraps, and there's 12 baskets left, a basket full for each disciple. What a lesson for them. But Jesus involved them in that work. So they got to see it hands-on. They were learning from the Master Himself. Verse 43, Now after the two days, He departed from there and went to Galilee. So He left the area of Samaria. It's another day, another day of opportunity, another day for divine appointments, ministry opportunities in another place. Galilee. He's moving towards Galilee. Now it is interesting to notice too the path that Jesus has traveled. We saw when we started this journey with him that he was in Jerusalem. His disciples are with him. They're in Jerusalem. They came into Judea. And then they went from Judea where? To Samaria. Now that should sound familiar to some of us. We just looked at this verse last week in discipleship class. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus has given to them His example. The very places that you have witnessed me ministering in and beyond, you're going to be doing the same thing. You're going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. You guys are going to turn the world upside down. Or actually right side up, I guess, is what it is. For the Lord. In Psalm 119, 105, David writes... Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is enlightening. It enlightens us inwardly. God's word is also illuminating. It illuminates for us outwardly. God's word shows us what to do and where to go to do it. And this is true in Jesus' life as well. There's a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9 that says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them 
a light has shined. This is a prophecy about Jesus going to the people of Galilee. Galilee of the Gentiles. It's an area of darkness and death. It's, it's far from Jerusalem, the center of worship. And it was constantly attacked and overrun by other Gentile nations just because of its location. Yet Isaiah prophesied that when Messiah, Messiah came, he would go to this very place and shine brightly. There's a Calvary Chapel pastor by the name of John Corson. Some of you may have heard him. He's got a commentary on the whole Bible, great commentary. And he writes about this situation that Jesus returned to Galilee because he understood what the Word said about his ministry. The Scriptures of prophecy about Jesus, they were not just predictive, they were also directive. When Jesus read and studied the Scriptures, he found out not only predictions about his ministry, but direction for his ministry. So Jesus was the ultimate example of not being just a hearer of the Word, but also a doer of the Word. Now in God's Word, He lays out for us what we are to hear and also what we are to do. John 13, 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Joy doesn't come from just hearing or agreeing with Scripture. It comes from doing what we have learned. We are truly blessed in this. So to finish up the text tonight, verse 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. Now whereas we see that the Samaritans recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, the Galileans received Jesus as a miracle worker but not as their Savior. They didn't see Him as that. They were not interested in who He was to them, but what He could do for them. They were more interested in Him doing a work for them, not a work in them. They acknowledged that all the things that He did, but not who He was. These are the very people that tried to make Him king after the feeding of the 5,000. They're not giving him the honor that he deserves. So in that way, he is not finding honor in his own country because they're not recognizing for who, him for who he is. All of us that have relationship with Jesus Christ have recognized what he has done in our lives. And we each one of us have a calling on our lives to share that with others. It doesn't have to be an in-your-face thing. Uh, you may have heard of the term lifestyle evangelism. People just watching how you live and how you act and react to certain things is a testimony to them. And you wait for your opportunities. You pray for your opportunities. You pray for those divine appointments. Lord, give me the opportunity today. Put someone in my path that I can either encourage to you or encourage in you.